Hey, welcome to another Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. And Merry Christmas! We are in a series called Behold, and it is a Christmas Advent series. And the title for this week's message is While the World Slept. So welcome to this December 5th Sermon Podcast. God bless you as you listen. Well, my wife departed for BC yesterday morning. Um, uh, I thought it would help me to sleep tonight, but uh, did, uh, last night, but it didn't. Um, I don't know about you, but I often wonder what kind of goes on at night while we're sleeping. Maybe some of you are real night owls and you see what happens all through the night while you're sleeping. But like every series, I planned this Christmas series months ago. And uh, I fine-tuned it, gave it to the staff, all the titles, the topics, the details a month ago. And so while today's message is new to you, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And the title for today's message is, While the World Slept. And I've been planning this for some time, but most series are kind of like this. But I find it interesting how God preps me for each sermon. For instance, over the last week, I've been waking up repeatedly through the night. No, not to pee, although once you're up, you know, you might as well, right? But I've been waking up repeatedly, and I thought maybe last night with Bonnie being gone, I'd sleep a little better, but I didn't. Uh, so I got up last night too. But anyway, I get up, I go to the living room, and it's around, I don't know, 12.30, 1 o'clock-ish each time I get up, and go over to the window, and there are a lot of things that happen in my neighborhood that I'm not aware of while I'm sleeping. There's a group of bunnies, they're all white now, that kind of hang out in the middle of the street right in front of the house. An SUV at about 12.45 each night zips by. I don't know, maybe he's going to work or something, and he causes the bunnies to scatter. Somewhere around this same time, my neighbor's TV goes off. So either he's going to bed or his kids are finally going to bed. I I live on a quiet street, and it's just a short window of time for sure. So I imagine that a lot happens every night while we all sleep. And this has been happening for millions of years everywhere. Things happen while we're sleeping. Let me take you back in time to about 753 B.C. This is around the time of the prophets Elijah and Jonah. However, this, this part of history is geographically located in what is now ancient Rome. Actually, even before Rome was. In 753 B.C., Roman... Roma was just a small hilltop village on the Tiber River. Its location provided security, uh, huge trade opportunities, making it strong economically and even culturally. In no time, this small beginning turned into a stronger city-state called Rome. In 509 BC, this city-state overthrew its king and became a republic. Its power and influence continued to grow grow until about 275 B.C. when Rome dominated the entire Italian peninsula. Continuing to grow, it clashed with Carthage, a rich trading city in North Africa. And between 264 and 146 B.C., the two cities and others battled each other in what became known as the Three Punic Wars. Eventually, Rome conquered and destroyed Carthage and then rebuilt her as a strong Roman capital city. Still, expanding its borders through force, 
in 44 BC, Julius Caesar was crowned Rome's dictator for life. How would you like that title? Some of you guys may think you have that around the house, but just ask your wife. It's not true. In 27 BC, under its new emperor, Augustus Caesar, the Pax Romana, the way of peace, was established because Rome was now encircling the entire Mediterranean Sea, covering all of Western Europe, half of Britain, and North Africa. And because it had conquered most of the known world at that time, things got a little quiet within its borders. Sure, Rome was a bully, but everyone they conquered, as long as they were subjecting themselves to Rome and lived under her rules, any conquered nation was allowed to live in relative peace, even Israel. Eventually, Augustus installed a new king over the region of Judea, out of which most of our Bible is located geographically, the region that the Jews mostly lived in. He rebuilt for the Jews a massive temple for the worship of Yahweh through King Herod. But along with that came increased taxes, both to Rome and to the temple. And again, as long as you, as a Jew, sort of kept your head down and kept quiet, you too could live a halfway normal life, even though you were considered uh, an, uh, an occupied country or persons, people. Now, there's something that we can learn from all of this part of history. The first thing is this. Number one, God's presence is sometimes clouded by seemingly impossible circumstances. God's presence is sometimes clouded by seemingly impossible circumstances. Before we get into the rest of today's message, let's just pause to pray. Majestic Lord, we have been singing our hallelujahs. And as I was lifting my hands in hallelujah to you, I was thinking of those shepherds but we're not going to be talking about them today. It caught my attention that they went out after seeing Jesus, singing and praising God for all they had seen and heard. I pray, Lord, that today, as we are in your word, I pray that after we have seen everything that you want us to see in this word today, that we will go out singing and praising you for all that we have seen and heard. I pray that it would be so impactful, Lord, that we wouldn't be able to go anywhere in our workaday world and not raise a hand in hallelujah to you. And if there's any people in this world that should be able to do that freely and earnestly and eagerly, it should be your people, the church. And so, Lord, today, guard our hearts so that we may learn what you want us to know. Guard our minds so that, Lord, we would be able to discern your voice from this text. And Lord, guard our souls so that, Lord, we would become a people who desire obedience over everything else. Because, Lord, we we want to please you in all that we do. So thank you for this word ahead of time. And we ask that you open up our minds right now to it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, God's presence is sometimes clouded by seemingly impossible circumstances. So things were sort of quiet everywhere in this 500-year-old Roman Empire by the time Mary comes along. Even among the Jews, who, 
after so many centuries of oppression, sort of just kind of gave up. Yes, there were some militant groups like, uh, that were uh, kind of in and amongst the, the, the people, but most people just sort of kept their head down and worshipped at the temple. But as the world slept, how does that old carol describe it? The world in solemn stillness lay. Unknown and unseen by humanity, God was active. God, in fact, was going to take center stage. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 30. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 30. All right, are you there? The, the, the time is sort of set by verse 5. It says, in the time of King Herod of Judea. Verse 26. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I want you to imagine what news, what that news from the angel to Mary would have sounded like to her. In light of all the current political and cultural situations that were going on. Verse 32. He said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this promise of a king to reign over Israel must have sounded a bit like a fairy tale. A long, almost lost dream of Israel. But it sounded almost impossible, in fact. As powerful as King David was, Rome was way bigger and way more powerful than the enemies that David had conquered. David's throne ended about a thousand years ago, and Rome is all Mary and Israel had known for the last 500 of those years. But the angel did say, verse 32, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Take note of that. It was going to be the Lord God who would give the throne of David to this new Messiah. You remember the story of David? Sure you do. Do you remember that Before David became the king of Israel, he was a little insignificant shepherd boy. Do you remember from from last spring when we read that, that young teenage David went into battle against the Philistine giant named Goliath? The Philistines were enemies of Israel. In fact, they were everybody's enemies. They were originally from Crete, but they had settled along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean and had plans of conquering and dominating all the coastal territories and then moved inward toward Judah to conquer Bethlehem so that they could split that region in two. 
Well, Israel's king, Saul, hears about this and his armies meet the Philistine army out on the battlefield. But they were deadlocked. Neither could attack the other because the first ones down into the valley of Ella would be easy pickings for the enemy. So the Philistines, they throw out a challenge to the Israelites. Send down your best warrior and we'll send out ours. And whoever is left standing, that nation will be the victors. Well, you know the story. The Philistines, they send out the giant, Goliath, a descendant of the Nephilim from from Genesis chapter 6. But Israel was too afraid to send out a warrior. Kept waffling back and forth about who to send. They knew that this was an impossible battle against such an impossible challenge. And then out walks young David, armed with only his staff and a sling. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17. David said to the Philistine, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you in my hands. Sound familiar? And I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered will know that, there, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Did you hear David's declarative confidence? Verse 47, all those here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the, Lord, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And that is exactly what happened. The stone hits its mark, taking down the giant, and the Philistines flee. They take off, and they're pursued by the Israelites. We know this story, and there are so many others like it in our Bible. But for some reason, we think that the only way to win, even today, over our troubles, over huge obstacles and challenges, is through strength and wit and and also strategy. The story of God reminds us repeatedly, again and again, that it is the Lord who fights our battles for us. Amen? Even when we can't see any possible way out or solution. In the generations prior to David, God makes it very clear. And if you read your Bible from Genesis to Psalms, you will see that God kept reminding Israel that he would be the one who would be their God, would take care of them, and would fight their battles for them. Even way back before David, all the way back to Abraham, to the man that the Israelites call the father of their nation, God calls him to leave his, his area, his homeland, to venture through impossible territories to a new promised land. And he would give him every place he sets his foot. Let's pick up that story in Genesis 17. Verse 3. God said to him, As for me, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God too. That's the promise that emboldened 15-ish-year-old David to walk out onto the battlefield to challenge a giant and win. And so... Fast forward a thousand years from David to Mary. And, and Mary was a direct descendant of, a, of David, by the way, and of Abraham. And, and God promises her that he is about to do something impossible. And he was about to do something with her, a weak, insignificant woman in a divine way. Luke chapter 1, verses, 1, verses 32 to 33. Let's read that again. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Awesome, right? But she's not married. And obviously, she's not pregnant. So naturally, She says to the angel, verse 34, how will this be since I am still a virgin? Meaning that Mary was going to need some proof here. I mean, dethroning Caesar and Rome was a huge undertaking. Have you ever faced seemingly impossible circumstances in your life? Have you ever wondered, can, can even God himself fix what I'm going through. Mary gets that. And I'll let you in on a little secret. God gets that too. And she needed proof. And, and, and he gets that we are intimidated by the bigness of the troubles that lay siege to our everyday life. God gets that. Listen to how God proves, provides declarative confidence through the angel. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And you know what? That seems to be enough for Mary. For nothing will be impossible for God. Is that statement enough for you? Why was it enough for Mary? Is it your declared confidence today that nothing is impossible for God? Mary was going about her everyday normal life. Everything was quiet except that she was pledged to be married. So there was a huge celebration coming. Things were going okay for her. But while she slept, God was moving. While all of Israel slept, while the Roman Empire slept, 
God was on the move and working in ways that neither she nor anyone else could predict. And God was about to prove that not even seemingly impossible circumstances could stop him from being present for his people in salvation. This leads to our second point for today. Number two. God may seem really quiet, but he never, ever sleeps. God may seem really quiet, but he never, ever sleeps. Remember, Mary was part of a people that had a history with God. She lived in a time when she and Israel had found some sort of peaceful coexistence with Rome. Still their enemy, but at least she could sleep at night. But I think, think of the drama that that Israel had gone through the centuries before that. They had experienced the highs of, of God's miraculous provision, especially during King David's reign. But they also experienced his painful rebuke. And silence when David, since David, under uh, even David's son, when he was unfaithful to God. And the other 31 bad kings after Solomon over Israel and Judah. Certainly Mary's part in God's story is different than yours and mine. But like Mary, your part in God's story is part of a greater story. And right now, in the history of the world, some of you might be tempted to think that God's silence in your personal lives means that God might be asleep. That maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's not interested in what's going on with you. And maybe that means he's not that interested in helping. Back to Mary's story. Mary and Israel felt the same way, by the way. For the last 400 years of her history, through what's called the intertestamental period, from the last words of God through the prophet Malachi to this amazing angelic visit, God was quiet, but he was working. And now through Mary, he is about to bring about the climax of his grand story, reminding Israel that he has never, ever abandoned them and that he remains faithful to those who fear him. And that he brings salvation when he comes. But remember, from their point of view, they couldn't see that. As far as they experienced, God seemed to be asleep. But he wasn't. In order for the world to be ready for Messiah and for salvation to come, God had to do a lot to prepare people, landscape, uh, 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 the, the culture, the religion, civilization. When the Old Testament closes about 420 B.C., the world is under Persian control, under Alexander the Great, and and his spread of the influence of Greek culture everywhere by his military conquests throughout what we call today Europe and the Middle East. God was preparing a common worldwide culture for his Messiah so that he could spread the message of the kingdom of God easily. Part of the common culture was also made possible by the development of the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. Meaning that anyone who could speak Greek, and most people could by the time Mary was living, they could read those scriptures for themselves. Also remember that Caesar Augustus of Rome enlarged the empire through massive building projects throughout Palestine and also throughout the Roman Empire. 
He established the Pax Romana and, and the, this way of peace. He basically made the, the world one big neighborhood. He gave them one currency and a paved road system that went everywhere throughout the, the empire. And all of this would make every village and every town and city accessible for the gospel. Caesar didn't know this when he built all this, but God did. He made it happen. God made it happen. And he used the enemy of Israel to build it and prepare for it. Isn't that incredible? And everybody thought God was sleeping all through those 400 years. Friends, God may seem really, really quiet at times in your life. But he never, ever sleeps. Think of your life right now. Think of the world that you live in today. Does God seem involved? Or does he seem quiet? Think of the enemy that challenges your peace today. And it would probably be different enemies for all of us. Could it be that the Lord could use that hardship and that enemy to build your future and to bring salvation into your life? Perhaps, no, actually for sure, God is working in the background to bring about his plan of salvation to your small part in the world. Only God can use the hardships in our lives to build roads for the gospel to get to other people. And he does that all the time. Think of the people that brought you the gospel. Mary and all of Israel thought God was silent, but God was preparing the world for salvation through Jesus. What I love, uh, uh, what I love about this is that it shows us something. It shows me that I am part of God's fuller drama of bringing redemption to the world through Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world, the Son of God. It reminds me that like Mary and Israel, I may have unexpected, unwanted troubles in my life. Some of which maybe I brought into my own life by my choices. But some happened by happenstance. But never, ever has God left me alone. And he's never left you alone. Never have I ever been out of God's redemptive plan. And neither have you. And now we live post-Jesus, post-Messiah coming to the world. Messiah has come. So behold, my friends, nothing is impossible for our God. Amen? Amen. That is one of the many messages of the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus is God's greatest sign that not only is he aware of what's going on in our life, but he is also very active in working out his great plan of salvation for you, for me, for the people in your life network, for the church, for the world. He's working. Through Jesus, God joins me to his ancient promise of salvation for all of humanity. So think back. Think back to how you discovered salvation in Jesus. Who was it through? What person brought you to Jesus? Or maybe it was multiple people. For me, I found salvation when a guy uh, came to my grade 11 class, uh, English class, halfway through the year. He came from Quito, Ecuador, of all places. His mom and dad uprooted his life, took him and his brothers away from their friends, their school, everything that they had known since their birth, to come to ice-cold Saskatchewan in January. He thought the world had ended. 
He was homesick and he was hurting. But he reached out to me on the road that he was on. And the gospel of Jesus made its way into my life and my heart. What's your story? What's your story? Who was it that brought you to Jesus? Guaranteed there was an enemy in their life and a hardship that they were going through. That they just pressed on through believing that nothing is impossible for God. I love Mary's response to the angel visit. Verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Again, I don't know what road you're on these days. I don't know whether it's filled with peace or trouble. Maybe you're just keeping your head down low just to get through. But seeing today how God worked behind the scenes in history past to bring about Messiah, to bring salvation to the world through Jesus, could you respond like Mary did this morning? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. So let my life be to me according to his will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. A word that came through an angel, through Mary, to us, thousands of years later, through this amazing book that we have. Lord, with my sisters and brothers today, I pray that our individual and also shared declaration and confidence would be, Behold, Lord, I am your servant. Let my life be to me according to your will. Lord, use us to bring salvation to someone else. Help us not to be afraid of our battles, our circumstances, our challenges, our trials. Help us not to just keep our head down anymore, but help us to raise our head high, knowing that Jesus has come and he has won the victory. May your name be great in and through our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 